This is a bigger story about perceptions of traditional gender roles and what happens when women act in ways that are seen as, you know, not in alignment with their quote unquote prescribed gender role. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Now, she is here to talk about the fact that there is a penalty that most women experience for being ambitious. Yeah. And sometimes you feel it really directly. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's professionally. Sometimes it's personally. We go really deeply into this, and it is so good. If you are a purpose chaser, welcome back. You already know how we do. But if you're brand new here, make sure that you subscribe and that you rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get discovered by other purpose chasers like you. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, let's look at the affirmation for the week. You know, you got to speak positivity into your life, into your day. You got to affirm positivity. You got to affirm abundance. You got to affirm yourself to wealth. This week's affirmation is, I am unapologetically ambitious. Once I set my mind to something, I am beyond interested in seeing it through to completion. I am committed. I am willing to put in the hard work, dedication, and intentionality needed to bring it to pass. I possess the energy and enthusiasm to continue to go after what I desire, even when it may not align with what others believe I should want or what some may believe I deserve. I do not apologize for wanting more, and I will never pretend that I don't want what I want to please another soul. Declare today, I am unapologetically ambitious. Today's guest is Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Stephanie is a writer covering women, money, power, and ambition. She's the host of Real Simple Magazine's Money Confidential podcast, the founder of Statement Cards, a line of greeting cards that celebrates milestones beyond marriage and motherhood, and the co-founder of Statement Event, dedicated to connecting the dots between gender equity and financial power. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I am thrilled as well. So I have known of you for many years now, several years for sure, but we haven't ever had an opportunity to really chat. Not that I remember, right? No, we haven't. I think I have admired you from afar via social media. I think maybe during a talk one time at a conference, but I was like, Oh man, I want to meet her, but you know, there's going to be all these people flooding the stage to go talk to her. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta play it cool. So now this is awesome that we get a chance to like, I'm playing it cool and we're chatting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, I've also admired your work from a distance for some time now as well, and I've been following you on Instagram. And you know, there's always that one post. Yeah that stops me dead in my tracks and makes me go, okay, enough is enough. Mm. Because you know, sometimes you're waiting for 
you know, a good time or the right time, or especially with the podcast, I always look for ways, like, how can I add value to this person? If I'm going to ask for your time, what can I do or align the episode with? That would be a blessing to you as well, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm usually kind of just in the background, lightly stalking people waiting for the opportunity to go, you know what, this will be the time. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> I love stalking people for, for their for their ideas, right? Yeah. That's yeah. that's the best kind. Yeah. And so I was I was quietly doing that, you know, following along. And then you made this post one day that just mm-hmm. stopped me in my tracks. And I don't know if you remember my DM, but I was like this, like we must get on the podcast and talk about this. And I just want to read the the first kind of tile mm-hmm. of that carousel post on your Instagram that stopped me in my tracks. Mm. It said, things we tell women to do to empower themselves. Ask for what you want. Be more confident. Speak up. Negotiate. Take what you deserve. But women's lived experiences shows us time and time again that if gender equity were as simple as speaking up, we'd have it by now. Mm-hmm. Most of the advice preached in the name of gender equity just blames women for the problem. We've become so focused on telling women the things they need to do differently that we've lost sight of fixing the systems that penalize them in the first place. Girl, you truth. woke up that day and chose violence, as they say. <laughs> you did not come to play. And that instantly hit me in my core. Mm. Because I realize that even as a coach to women, I really lean into wanting my, like, nothing wrong with that. Because I think that we have to take our our fair share of responsibility, too. But not in a system that just does not play fair. Correct. And I felt even as a woman, as a Black woman, as a woman who coaches other women, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've leaned into that only holding my clients responsible when there has to be a bigger conversation here. And and I realized how much of myself I've tried to shift to fit into these narratives and how as my career has grown, I've just seen how what a what a like what a pile of BS <laughs> all that really was because no matter what I did, some people just chose to keep doing what they were doing, no matter how much I spoke up. What happened that morning or what led up to that post that you were like, you know what, enough is enough? You know, I've been thinking about this for a really long time. So I would love to say I woke up that morning and was able to articulate this frustration just from the top of my head. But for the last several years, I have been doing a deeper dive into the research around women's ambition more broadly, because I've been writing about personal finance for a long time. And to your point, a lot of what we say in personal finance really puts the onus on women themselves to lean in, to ask for more, to demand what they deserve, to negotiate. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. To your point, there is this tension of like, okay, yes, it's some of that, but also, you know, it's also everything around us and the way the world responds to that, that's the problem. And we don't talk enough about that. And so as I started doing a little bit more research into, okay, so I'm telling women to negotiate, what happens then? Well, then I find that 
When women do negotiate, they are less likely than men to get what they ask for. They're more likely to face social penalties, like being considered unlikable. And that's not just about, you know, dealing with somebody not liking you. That manifests in tangible financial outcomes, denial of tenure, denial of promotion, denial of raises. And so these things have an impact on our bottom line in the same way that every other inequity does too. And so I think when we're talking about the things women need to do to quote unquote empower themselves, what we're finding is that, well, on the other side of those actions, there's a penalty, there's a consequence. I've been calling it an ambition penalty because when women do lean in, they are penalized in tangible, financial, social, professional ways. And this even extends to the home. So what I did in this research is I started looking more broadly about, okay, how does this manifest outside the workplace? And what you see is that when women earn more than 40% of the household income in a heterosexual relationship, husbands feel stressed out. That stress leads to higher rates of marital dissatisfaction, higher rates of divorce. So this is about a much bigger story than the workplace. This is a bigger story about perceptions of traditional gender roles and what happens when women act in ways that are seen as, you know, not in alignment with their quote-unquote prescribed gender role. And unfortunately, things like reaching positions of leadership, things like managing the money, things that basically anything to do with finance and economic equity, like the things you need to do for that is still seen by people, whether they say it explicitly or not, it's seen as a traditionally male task. And so when women lean into those tasks, that's when they face those penalties. And I think that is a lot more of what we need to be talking about if we're going to talk about how do we get to equity. Oh, okay. I told y'all, did I not bring, (laughs) did I not bring the right person? That is so good. And what you're making me think of, again, in the work that I do with women is why even as I'm doing what I know to do, which is help build women up and boost their confidence and just like pour into them that they, that they have a right and this is their birthright and they should. Mm-hmm. On the other side, I understand now why more men, women are like, but Patrice, you don't understand right? Because they're actually in those spaces facing Mm -hmm. that backlash. Whether they can articulate it or not, I think even when you talk about the household, it may not be articulated, but boy, is there a feeling of tension. And that's what makes this all so hard, right? Because we don't have language for it. It's so insidious. It's very difficult to like point to and say, this is the thing. It's like a lot of the bias and discrimination that exists in our culture, whether it's by gender, by race, by class, by body, you know, all of this stuff, it, it's just so baked into so many of our interactions. And what happens is like, we have a tendency to internalize it as like something we need to do differently. And unfortunately, that makes us overlook what really needs to happen, which is like, no, you shouldn't be discriminatory. You shouldn't have bias. And we need to dismantle the systems that continue to reinforce these things. Because, you know, there's so much data, especially, you know, when you have things like uh, gender bias and then racial bias converge. 
it's even worse. The penalties are even higher. So, you know, by demographic, Black women are some of the most ambitious. There's data that they start businesses uh, more than any other demographic, like they're pursuing higher education at much higher rates. And yet when you look at outcomes, that is not reflected. So if your drive and your determination was supposed to be indicative of your outcomes, you can see that that is broken by looking at the experience of Black women. By that metric, Black women should be doing better than any of us. And that is not true. They're penalized even more. So that is what makes me think, okay, we really need to confront the system. I love that you're talking about this too, from that lens, because I think it's really easy as a Black woman who has had great success. Now I've had my fair share of failures (laughs) for sure Mm -hmm. in my seasons of being down and out. Um, But I see this not just, you know, maybe from my perspective, but I even see it with mentors that I've had where again, that advice is very much like, well, just do it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I have the desire to do it and I I'm planning things and I'm preparing myself. And yet there's still those penalties kind of spoken or unspoken I'm up against and it's not made up. And that's the struggle too, is that when you're trying to articulate to people why you haven't done something, a lot of what we're saying comes off as an excuse. And right. again, I, I'm really trying to learn to be more sensitive to that because I've received it. And so I tend to give it. Does that make sense? Where I'm 100%. like, girl, Girl, pull it together. Let's do this. You got it. But I also, Stephanie, I never worked in really like corporate America. So I also have a very different lens and I haven't been necessarily conditioned, I think, in some of the ways that a lot of the women that I work with have been from that space. And I want the takeaway not to be that women shouldn't negotiate and ask for more and demand what they deserve. I think those things are important, but I think they just have to be said in the context of the fact that like, okay, yes, like, please negotiate more, but understand that this ambition penalty exists. And if you at least have a language for it and have an opportunity operational understanding of how it works, then one, you can be better about navigating it. So there are some tools and strategies that that women can use to better navigate. Not that I want to put the onus on women because I don't think that's where it belongs. I think it belongs on the organizations that penalize them. But I'm just saying like in the meantime, we want to do well. So there are things we can do. But then the other piece of that is if you know this bias exists and you know that you are more likely to be penalized for who you are just for doing the same things that a white guy is going to do to succeed. It lets you let go a little bit of the self-blame and the imposter syndrome and everything else. So it's really interesting. Um, I've been hosting a podcast called Money Confidential, and uh, I did an interview with a woman who was like, she had read my post, that Instagram post you talked about, and she reached out to me and she said, oh, well, it's so interesting that you're sharing this because I actually just negotiated a job offer and afterwards the company rescinded the job offer because I tried to negotiate. And then she said she was talking around with a few of her girlfriends who also work in tech. She worked in tech. And she said three other women had the same experience when they tried to negotiate, their job offers were rescinded. Now, 
I don't want to say that that's a very that common an experience, though it was wild to me that she said that three of her friends had been through something similar. But I think what was so interesting about the conversation was not only did she take this advice that we give to women, implement it, and by the way, implemented it with all the research, all of the right tactics for asking, and then was really clearly penalized for it. But then she said, you know, what's really wild is after this experience, I have imposter syndrome I have never had in my life. So we talk about things like women need to be more confident. Women have too much imposter syndrome. And we talk about these things like they exist in a vacuum, but they don't. They are shaped by our experiences. Again, we may not have recognized it. It may not have been explicit as it was for this woman, but throughout our lives, from the time women start to reach around puberty, that's when they really start experiencing those penalties for their own successes and for their own ambitions. And we see it in the classroom with, with teachers, you know, calling on boys more, wanting to help and support boys more. We see it in recruitment where women with high grades are often um, less recruited than men with high grades. Um, and, and we just kind of see it trickle throughout the course of the professional careers of women. So I think we need to understand these other phenomena within the context of this broader ambition penalty. So what do people who are listening, who are in organizations, who are hiring, recruiting, you know, HR, whatever those departments are, I know that we have a lot of listeners in general who are in those spaces. How can they become our advocates? Like, how can they, what what steps can they do to start helping to dismantle that? Because I'm sure they see it, but maybe mm-hmm. also feel powerless yes. to do anything in the broader sense because they may think, oh, I'm the only one noticing this, you know, but what, what types of conversations can they begin in their, in their spaces? Yeah. So there, there's obviously a lot going on. There's a lot of dialogue happening within uh, equity and inclusion in workplaces, and that's a good start. But it can't just be a dialogue. It has to be really represented in the company. So, for example, if you have an equity and inclusion statement on your website and, and your company is you know purporting to, to say that they value diversity and they value women in the workforce and they want to see more people elevated, and yet everybody on the executive team is a white male with an MBA, right? Like that, that is a a problem. And I think that's a problem that can be such a very clear way of demonstrating this issue. So the problem with this issue is that it's very hard to label and point to and say, this is happening here. But if you can find those moments where there is just totally clear discrepancy between what we say we value and what it looks like on the ground, that's an opportunity to say, oh, I see that there's a disconnect here between what we're saying we care about and what's on actually happening in our teams 
and who was in our leadership. And so that's one way to begin a conversation. And the good news is that, you know, companies who do make those efforts to promote gender diversity and greater diversity, they make progress on metrics of equity. This has been studied there. And women themselves are more likely to seek out leadership roles because they are less likely to feel that they're going to be penalized for doing so because they see other women, they see more diversity in the leadership itself. Uh, Organizations can also build out networks like affinity groups where women's careers and financial ambitions are explicitly celebrated. So I'm a big fan of what's the opposite of penalizing and penalizing ambition is celebrating ambition. So what are the ways that, you know, when you see somebody succeed or try or negotiate, like, even if they don't win out, right? Even if they don't get what they they ask for, is there a way we can continue to champion the ask in and of itself, the ambition in and of itself? I think that's a really important conversation that is important for companies, but then also important for women themselves. If you're surrounded by a workplace that is just really toxic, you need a cheerleader somewhere. So if you need to go find that group on social media, on your podcast, you know, wherever it is, go find that group because that's going to help you when for example with my with my listener story, you know, she's dealing with imposter syndrome now, it's going to help her heal to know that it's not her fault, to hear mm-hmm. other voices of people championing her. And it's really important to do that in her work as well. Every other month, I attend a Super Friends brunch where we talk about everything from purpose to pursuing new dreams and even menopause. Yep, you heard me, menopause, because if you're over 40 and your girlfriends don't keep it real, I don't know what to tell you. But we have these important conversations because how can we redefine wealth if we're not keeping up with our hormonal health? Now, We discovered Happy Mammoth. It's the company that created Hormone Harmony, and it's dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for us. They make no compromise when it comes to quality. Hormone Harmony contains herbal extracts called aptogens that help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally. And any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take Hormone Harmony. It's perfect for hot flashes, night sweats, menopause-related brain fog, sleeplessness, occasional bloating and gas. You get the picture. Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. And for a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com by using the code RW at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RW for 15% off. Yes, I agree. I definitely agree. We always talk about the fact that you have to curate the community that you want. Exactly. You know, it's not always inherent. It's it's not always, oh, my family's so awesome. Or, or you know, they just may not even have the capacity to support you. Or I have the best coworkers or I have... A, like, look, if you don't have it, though, that is where we do have to take some responsibility. Yes. We can't just stew in that. We have to say, okay, I don't have it there. So how can I create my tribe, my support system, get my accountability partners, the people who will speak life back into me when I am penalized for my ambition, you know? And I will have to say, you know, as a wife and a mother, I definitely have felt the ambition penalty. penalty. (laughs) I've felt it because 
you know, I, I experienced secondary infertility, for example. And the number of people who would say things like, oh, you haven't had another kid because you care more about business or you're chasing money. And people know I hate, you know, that idea of chasing money, but they'll go, oh, because you're probably, you know, you've you've spent the last several years chasing money. You should have been having another baby. Excuse you, mind your womb. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying that because you know me to be ambitious. But what about another woman who is dealing with infertility, who's a stay-at-home mom? And I'm not saying that stay-at-home moms are not ambitious. I'm just saying this is the lens that people choose. So you're out of the home doing these things. And because of that, you know, your ambition, your husband must be miserable. Your daughter must feel unloved. That's why you're infertile. Like, what? How do you even connect this stuff? Like, yeah. And it happens just out in the world, not even just in the workplace, but just as you move throughout the world, there's a constant on one hand, you know, it looks as if people are celebrating, but there's a whole group of people who are poking and prodding and judging and it gets exhausting. It's such a good point, right? I, I alluded to this before, but this is not solely a workplace issue. This exists and pervades every single human interaction we have because unfortunately you know these biases are just kind of inbuilt into every interaction into into every social construct into the family what the family looks like whose roles are supposed supposed to be i say of course with quotation mark whose roles are supposed to be what uh, in the workplace, who's supposed to be doing what at school, who's supposed to be speaking, who's supposed to not be. And if you're a woman who's going against your prescribed supposed to be gender role, even in a progressive, you know, mindset, even in a progressive society or group of people, the fact is this stuff is so baked in that of a quote unquote violation of the expectation still triggers these penalties. There's really interesting research, especially this year, because uh, the pandemic just exposed so much of what we had thought we had overcome. Um, so, for example, there was research done around uh, millennial fathers and millennial men who are married saying, oh, they're fine with women being paid the same amount as men. But what they weren't fine with was the expectation that they would have to do more in the home. And and like it's one thing to be like, I, I'm all for, for equal representation in the workplace and for women earning the same, but that is directly connected to, to how women are valued and paid for their labor. And a lot of that labor is currently unpaid and in the home. And because women are shouldering so much more of that unpaid labor, they are thus unable to go get paid equally and advance in the workplace in many, many situations. And so I think Again, that's an example of a disconnect between what we say we value and how we're actually valuing things. What are our actual outcomes? And if we can point to those things, I think it helps, you know, validate our own experience. But then it also serves as a way to say, oh, actually, we're we're not doing this in the way we say we value it. So what can we do differently? One of the things that I love about what Stephanie was just talking about is this idea of celebrating and championing the ask. 
right? What I have found in my life is that if I'm not surrounded by the right people, if I don't have the right community, it's very easy to slip into being upset when the ask doesn't go right, right? When we make the ask for the raise or the promotion or, you know, it might be something with your spouse, whatever it is, when you ask and it's not received in the way that you felt it would be, it's really easy to slip into second guessing or questioning if you really want what you think you want and if you really deserve what you're saying you desire. And I have found that being in community and curating the community that I need, not the community that I was born with, not the folks that, you know, we happen to share the same bloodline or we come from the same neighborhood or we went to the same school. Many of us get a little stuck, right? And we start to apologize for our ambition when it's not well-received at home or in the marketplace because we're not necessarily around people who have the capacity to support us, people who have the capacity to see that even though things didn't work out the way we thought they would or the way that we thought they should, the ask is still to be celebrated. The ask still says so much about how far we've come. The ask is still significant because there was a time in our lives when we wouldn't ask. And so one of the things that I write about in ding, Redefine Wealth for Yourself is this idea that accountability activates abundance. And sometimes I feel that the best thing that we can do for ourselves is put ourselves in spaces, in places with people who have the capacity to hold us accountable to what we are asking for, to what we say we want. And I believe this because I really love the quote by Winston Churchill that just says, success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And sometimes the people that we're around are the ones who help us keep up that enthusiasm. They are the ones that help us to see that maybe the ask was a fail, but we're not failures. And we're going to continue asking until we get what we want until we are where we have seen ourselves already in our minds. And so in the book, one of the things I say in Lesson 26, again, accountability activates abundance, is that I believe in 360 degrees of accountability, which means I don't depend on a single source for it. Having several different accountability relationships has allowed me to remove unspoken and unfair expectations from relationships where I shouldn't expect people to hold me accountable. And one of the examples that I give is, you know, my husband loves me, yes, and he wants to hold me accountable, but at the same time, he's the exact person who will let me push back a deadline because he loves me or he sees me working hard and he'll tell me it's okay to just take a break and rest. And while I appreciate his compassion and kindness, sometimes what I need is a nudge and a reminder that I set my own deadline and now I need to meet it, right? Or that that ask was important enough for me to ask again for me to celebrate the fact that I did ask, that I did try, that I did go after it, and then also be okay with the fact that I need the support and the lift and the boost and the encouragement to do it again and again and again. 
and not apologize for my ambition and my desire because I deserve to go after whatever it is that's on my heart. And so I hope that encourages you today to keep asking, right? No matter what penalties folks may try to bring your way, you keep asking. Remember that accountability activates abundance. So get people around you who will celebrate the ask no matter the outcome and curate the community that you need always. Now, I have to tell you, I have some team members that shared an experience with me recently where they were, they're contractors. And so they're on another woman influencers team. And she basically told them, well, you, you focus on your kids and family too much. And when you're building a business, we basically work here from sunup to sundown. Mm. Um, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Now you're taking your ambition and using it to penalize people who prioritize well-being and family. Right. And this is where there's a conflation in what I would say ambition versus hustle culture. And I think those are two very different things. To me, ambition is about the vision, the purpose, the goal. And then hustle culture is about like how productivity and time and optimization and there, there is so much of this like focus on the hustle equals the ambition when the two really just don't have much to do with one another. You can have the vision and you can have boundaries and you should have boundaries, right? And so I really want to make clear that that is that, that what was happening to your contractors is not okay. And wanting to be successful is not an excuse for uh, abusing people, for violating their boundaries, or for anything else. We all have to hold ourselves to the standards that that we're advocating for. Mm, That's so good. Hustle does not equal ambition. Oh, that is so good, Stephanie. Yeah, I was blown away that that even came from a woman. Mm. Women perpetrate patriarchy. (laughs) Yeah. So we all do this, right? These are, and this is another thing that we need to understand is like, these are systems. These are systems that we're all operating in. And I think it's okay for us to say, how, how am I contributing to this system in a way that it isn't serving me or my fellow workers, right? These patriarchy is something that we all exist within. The workplace, culture, politics, all of these realms have been set up by men for men, right? Um, and, and you know, it's the same with, you know, white supremacist systems, right? All of these systems were set up by white men. So if we are operating within them, we need to think about the ways we're reinforcing that power structure, even if it's not explicit, even if it's not something where we're like consciously trying to do that. You know, of course we want equity. Like this is the example I was saying before, like men in the household or a workplace that's saying that they're prioritizing equity inclusion. Yes, of course we, we might want that, truly earnestly want that. But where is that disconnect happening? What are the outcomes showing us? And then what can we do to 
to think about, okay, what are the ways I'm reinforcing this and the advice I'm currently giving? How is that just reinforcing it even more? And where do I need to make adjustments? Because I think we just keep doubling down on the fact that like, oh, it's just women who need to do this more. It's just that like, you know, people need to be more educated or whatever, and that's going to close these gaps. Hello, it hasn't. The, The needle on gender equity has not moved in like a decade. You have a few women in high prominent positions, and that's beautiful and it's wonderful, but it is an exception. By and large, the needle is not moving. And so I think we really need to have a reckoning over, okay, what's happening here? Because we think we've made more progress than we have. And there's data on this. People think there's a lot more representation than there is. And the truth is there isn't. And there's a reason why. And it's because of these systems. And we need to take an active look at what we need to better do to dismantle the systems instead of putting the onus on ourselves and our own behavior. Did I tell you I love you today? (laughs) Have I said it yet? Oh. Oh, my gosh. I do. I do really agree with this idea of asking yourself. I just love self-reflection in general. Yes. And again, from the first time I saw your post, it just made me so much more sensitive to like, what am I saying that's continuing to just enforce that my ladies just need to do these things when they are in these spaces that just do not honor their voice, that just do not honor their contribution in many ways. And I hear the stories and I, I just... I feel their pain and their frustration. And I do think it's one of the reasons that Black women in particular are building businesses and starting Mm -hmm. businesses at phenomenal rates because they have to. Yes. A a lot of it is birthed out of necessity. It wasn't necessarily desire. Correct. Yeah. I think you're spot on. You know, when we see this huge uh, spike in entrepreneurship among women, among Black women, there's always this thing of like, oh, women are, women are like owning their power and chasing their dreams. And, and I, I think that's a wonderful narrative. But I think what we need to really look at is the way work, as we understand it, just isn't working for those women to begin with, right? What is this what is happening that is requiring women to go start a business because no workplace can accommodate the fact that, you know, a woman needs to do her daycare pickup or that she's not being compensated enough or that she's being sexually harassed or discriminated against or passed over for promotions, right? That's the critical lens that I think that's a conversation I think is starting to happen. And I'm looking forward to hearing more. That said, you know, you talked about you know, when you're giving advice to women around negotiation or whatever it is, again, I think that advice is okay. It's just, we have to do it in context, right? It's saying, yeah, yes, let's, let's initiate more conversations around money with our partners, or let's ask for more in the workplace, but understand the kinds of bias that currently exist. And here's how to be prepared to manage those biases. That's what I'm picking up on is that I can still give that advice, but also hold the space for grace Mm -hmm. in case they take the advice and they come back and go, well, but then they did this. Right. Exactly. It's just being armed with the information and the and the tools and the stories and the research to say, and we kind of knew they could. 
right? Like we knew that they could, or this was the possibility because unfortunately we live in a system that, that wasn't set up to support you. Exactly. Exactly. And that's so important because it, it keeps us from internalizing that it's something that is our fault, that it's something to do with me. You know, that's, that's the thing I want to avoid by having this conversation around the ambition penalty. What I want to do is offer, as you said, grace. I want to offer that space for women not to take the backlash they're getting as something that's inherent to them. And thus they can never negotiate again or, or lean in again or succeed again. Right. It is not you. It's them. (laughs) Well, and I love that because what I realize is five, 10, 15, 20 years of experiencing those things, even though women are leaving to go start their own businesses, they bring a lot of that to it. So for us, people will recognize their gift and they will lean into their purpose and they will know exactly what they're called to do. But then when it comes time Hmm. to sell, to market, to make the pitch, to send the proposal, all of the thoughts and all of the memories of what they experienced in a lot of workplaces really kind of halts them. So we might talk about how many businesses start. We don't talk about how many of them never really get off the ground. That is such an important point, right? There, There is trauma that happens in the workplace. There is trauma that happens as a result of these experiences. And then we carry those scars and then they influence our behavior going forward. And that's where I kind of alluded to with, you know, the way we talk about imposter syndrome or the confidence gap, things like that. I I think what that stuff really overlooks is the fact that You know, this stuff doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes as a result of these experiences. And so to your point, if we're giving people grace and space and education around the kinds of backlashes that exist, and we give them community where they can go to in those moments, well, then maybe we can heal those wounds and and overcome that trauma in a way that women still feel like they can continue pushing forward with the business or the career trajectory or whatever else it is they want to do with their ambition. So I know one way that we can celebrate and encourage women are with statement cards. Yes. I love, love, love your statement cards. Can you tell us about those, why, what they are, why you started it? Yes. So I created a line, a small line of greeting cards dedicated to celebrating women's ambition, like we're talking about, and specifically dedicated to celebrating things like career milestones, financial milestones, really anything beyond marriage and motherhood. Marriage and motherhood are great. I got married myself. That said, when I was going through the process of getting married, what happened was like people came out of the woodwork and it was beautiful. People were celebrating like wild, but I got married. I think I was 33. So I had 
had a pretty lengthy career by that point in my life. And the thing that really struck me was that, you know, all these people were showing up and and sending me messages and like, oh my gosh, this is so great. You're getting married. And I was like, where were you when like I wrote a book? Where were you when I like actually needed support? And like I was building a business and like begging people to just be like, hit the like button. (laughs) Meanwhile, like I posted an engagement photo. I've never had more likes in my life. And so I just felt there was this total disconnect between, um, you know, the things I valued about myself and the way the world valued me. And I think that is something that I, as I was talking to people, uh, especially women about this, they were like, oh my gosh, I totally know what you mean. Like I, I paid off my student loans and nobody cared. I, I got, went to law school and like, you know, my mom got me flowers, but like nobody said, congratulations. Meanwhile, it's like, I'm a wife or I'm a mom. And yes, those are celebratory things again, but it's not the only thing about me that I think is worth celebrating. And I thought about, okay, well, what kind of message does that send? If in 20, well, at the time it was 2019, we are still valuing women as wives and mothers above everything else. Yes, being a wife is is a beautiful thing. Being a mother is a beautiful thing. But one, it doesn't make a woman. And two, it's not the only thing about a woman worth celebrating. And so I was like, I'm going to create a way to celebrate these other things. And hopefully by doing this small thing about, you know, creating a greeting card that celebrates a woman who asked for a raise. Well, maybe that's a way to, to further this discussion around championing women's ambition more broadly. I love them. Thank I you. love them. I have a set at my desk. Thank oh. you. I have a set at my desk and I love the you're not too expensive. They just can't afford you yet. Exactly. And that one is specifically about, you know, someone who might be trying to advocate for themselves and and isn't getting anywhere and is getting maybe a little bit discouraged. But the idea is I'm I'm celebrating the ambition itself. Right. As opposed to just the outcome. The outcomes are great. We got to celebrate outcomes, too. But the work is equally important. You know what I also love, Stephanie? You were very intentional um, because the who runs the world uh, card mm-hmm. with the boss on it. Mm-hmm. Those are brown legs up on that. desk. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I wanted them to that. be representative. Yeah. So so we did the, the greeting card line in different uh, skin tones. And I want to continue to iterate. You know, it's not perfect. I I want it to be different body shapes. I want it to be different colors. I want it to be, you know, able-bodied, you know, all kind and not able-bodied. I want to be more representative. Um, And it's a work in progress. Like these are the the ways I'm interrogating my own work, right? Mm Because I can be more inclusive. I can try to do, try to show up in a better way too. So I'm glad that it's a good start, but yeah, you know, it's a work so. in progress. It's I, a work in I progress. mean, and it's noticed and I wanted mm-hmm. to just say it, right? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes there are these, you know, movements or missions that I am extremely drawn to as a woman, mm-hmm. but then I do get there and there's no one else that looks like me. Yes. Or there's nothing that represents me on the sales page or there's yes. nothing that represents me in the collateral. And yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I instantly noticed that and I was grateful for that. And it's definitely something that I think as a business owner, I'm learning to be more sensitive to, you know, as well. And just, we don't even know 
Like we literally don't know what we don't know. I had Mm -hmm. someone reach out to me and say, I have a learning disability, like how I want to take your program, but are there other ways for people to learn rather than just you doing this, this thing this way? And I just, I literally sat there and had to read it over and over again. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I've never even considered because I've never personally dealt with a learning disability and it didn't even occur to me. And so instantly I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. This has never come up, but what can I do to support you? And it made me think as I was taking in the feedback, it made me think about how many of my clients in the past probably didn't really get the material down not because they didn't desire it, not because they were too busy, not because they were lazy, not because they were making excuses, but they didn't, they didn't share or maybe even know that they had a learning disability Mm -hmm. and maybe creating the content in different formats would have been more beneficial. And those are just some of the ways that we're just learning like, wow, you know, I, I totally know what you mean. And I think that's, that, you know, the work you and I are doing and just understanding that this is a learning process is so important to just say like, hey, I'm not there yet. And as opposed to getting defensive or, you know, doubling down on things where people feel excluded for us to say, oh, I didn't realize this or what can I do to make this more accessible or inclusive or equitable? I mean, that's a model for everybody else who is interacting with us. And it's, it's okay for us to do that. Right? It's, it's okay to be vulnerable. And I think that's, that's what's really going to create a lot of the changes we're asking for in this entire conversation is we need everybody to be doing that and to be like, you know what? It's a learning process. I'm not perfect. I'm going to get, you know, some critiques. And some of those critiques are going to be very valid. And what can I do to hear them? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay. (laughs) Speaking of vulnerability, before I let you go, I got to ask you, well, no, I have to celebrate you. Your podcast just got picked up for a second season. Yes. <laughs> it's real simple. Yes. Yes. So you've got to tell magazine. us about it. Yeah. So the, uh, the magazine, Real Simple, has launched a money podcast that I have been so excited to be the host of. And basically the format is every episode starts with a listener question. So somebody submits something like, okay, I have $100,000 in student loans. I don't even know where to begin. And I interview that person directly, which is really cool because it gives us a behind the scenes look. Actually, a lot of the conversations on the podcast wind up being very little bit about money and they wind up being very much about maybe the shame (laughs) I feel, the life I feel like I can't live because of this debt, the things that I, I'm insecure about talking with my partner about because what does it mean if I have all this debt and, and he or she doesn't, right? So 
the conversations, just because I have them directly with the listeners, they just give me an opportunity to talk about the things we in personal finance world have been talking about forever, but in a totally new way to me. And hopefully they offer a perspective to our listeners that just allows us, again, room to identify with people as people, as opposed to just numbers on a page. So that's how each podcast kind of episode kicks off. And then in the second half, we go into practical solutions, tips, you know, what can we do? And not just, again, not just managing the money part, that's important, but then also managing the guilt, the shame, the fear, the excitement, the joy, all of those things that I know you talk about a lot. So it's been really, really fun to really go on this journey and, and get a chance to talk again, not just about money, but about life. Yeah, I think for both of us, you can start out with the hardcore personal finance subjects, but the more you help people, Mm -hmm. the more you understand that it is so much more than money. There's no way to actually help people, in my opinion, be better with finances by only talking about money. You have to talk about the other parts of their life that are impacting why they're doing what they're doing, or if they have these these feelings or these thoughts or these beliefs, like getting to the root of where that came from, because we can't recondition what we don't recognize. And I love it. And I'm so incredibly proud of you. Oh my goodness. I'm celebrating your podcast. (laughs) Like, okay, congratulations. You're still kind of a newlywed, whatever. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate it. Celebrate both. That's awesome. Okay. Now, before I let you go, I want to ask you what we call Redefining Wealth Rapid Wisdom Questions. Oh, I'm so bad at answering fast, but I will do my best. (laughs) Do your best. Okay. The first one is, how do you define success? Being able to spend my time in a way that I value. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Oh my gosh, this is impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Redefining wealth in three words or less security, joy, opportunity. You guys should see Stephanie sweating. (laughs) (laughs) I am so bad at distilling things down. Like I, I'm like someone who's like, oh, I can speak. I must speak with nuance at all times. (laughs) No, you did wonderful. Okay. Um, what's one book that has helped you redefine wealth? Hmm. This is another one that's really hard for me. Um, There's a book called Necessary Dreams. I don't remember the author's name. It actually speaks a lot on some of the themes I was talking about today and just better understanding my relationship to to wealth and money in a system that isn't built for, for anyone who's not a straight white man. Wow. Necessary Dreams. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll find it. We'll link to that. And the last one is just fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. And to me, the truth about wealth is that it's about, you know, optimizing value as opposed to the bottom line. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I love this conversation. 
I did too. And I know it's going to be a blessing to so many women. And this is an episode that you guys want to pass on to other women. Listen to this at your at your desk, in your office, at your cubicle, wherever you are, listen to this, get it in your spirit, show yourself more grace. It's not that something's wrong with you. It's that we absolutely do live in a broken system. And yeah. there is a such thing as ambition penalty. So we get to let go of the self-blame, the guilt, the imposter syndrome. Um, we get to remember that, yes, even women can perpetuate patriarchy. We're not crazy if we experience something like that. I mean, just go back and listen to this episode and make sure that you go and get some statement cards. Follow Stephanie on Instagram, but go to stephanieoconnell.com and you can find the statement cards. They're beautiful. They're so well-made. And let's celebrate more than just motherhood and marriage. Women are doing so many incredible things in this space, and we need to celebrate each other and just keep each other inspired and encouraged and moving forward. Um, Because, man, if we don't, who will? We got to do it. The system is not built to do it. So we have to take control, at least of our part. Um, So that's it for me, you guys. You can find me in social media at Seek Wisdom PCW. Let's talk about this more in the free Facebook group. Come on over to the Redefining Wealth group on Facebook. Let's start a conversation. Have you experienced any of these things? The ambition penalty, what does that look like in your workplace or at home? Because you're in a safe space when you come to our group. What does it look like? How are you, you know, working through that? And what can we do to support you and support each other? Let's talk about it. Today's Ask Patrice Anything comes from Edith in Kampala, Uganda. Thank you, Patrice. Um, My question would be, what advice would you give to someone that's going through a rough patch right now where the vision doesn't seem uh, clear, everything seems distant, and but they hope that things get better and um, the situation improves and they get on track. Um, yes, it's something to keep them going, to keep them hoping and see that they will come to achieve what they want or their vision. Edith, thank you so much for that question. I can say that I have definitely been there at different points in my life um, where you just don't see how it's all going to come together. And I would say this is where leaning into your faith pillar really is going to make a big difference. Um, I always talk about the fact that more than anything, what my faith, I believe, has really taught me is about resilience and about understanding that nothing is happening to me. It's happening for me even when it doesn't feel good and when it's long and it feels like long suffering and it's why, why, why me? I'm a good person. Why is this happening? Why is it taking so long to get the answers? Why do I not feel a breakthrough on the horizon? Why do I not see the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, I've been there and I've asked those questions. And the more I've leaned into I don't see it, but I feel that there's a greater lesson. And what am I supposed to learn in this season? The more grace I believe it's given me to deal with the season at hand. 
right? Instead of trying to fight against it, it allowed me to surrender to it so that I could potentially ask better questions um, and be in more of a flow instead of the friction that we create when we're trying to push it off and not accept what it is and deal with it. And so something that I would tell you, Edith, too, is that nothing is forever, right? Life is so cyclical. Like we, we're we seasonal, like everything is seasonal and it's very temporal. So whatever you're going through and whatever has you feeling like the light is so far away, just know that it's closer than you think. And I just pray for your strength and your endurance and your resilience and that you can just hang in there long enough. And I always, you know, I don't know what the situation is, but I know for myself, even now, when I'm in a tough spot, I try to take a step back and look at the pillars. So when I look at the six pillars of wealth, you know, it may look like frustration in my work pillar, but the truth is there's a lot going on in my people pillar. There's a lot of conversations that I need to be bold enough to have. There's a lot of decisions that I may need to make. And while I'm making it about world work is chaotic or it's too busy or it's too hectic or I have so many things on my plate, the truth is not wanting to deal with the people pillar has manifested itself in the work pillar. And so whatever area you feel like you're struggling in, I want to invite you to look at all six pillars and see if there's a connection between something else that you may be avoiding and you may not be dealing with in some form or fashion, whether that's fit, people, space, faith, work, money, whatever it is, um, take a look at the other parts of your life because they're always going to impact the other parts that you least expect. So um, my heart goes out to you. My prayers are with you. Um, and remember that this is a season. It's temporal. It's not going to last forever. So hold on. Now, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Listen, I hope that you got a lot of value from this conversation around the ambition penalty. Whether you have seen it or experienced it or felt it, I think that all of us probably have in some form or fashion. It's a real thing. And I think the best thing that you could do is forward this episode to another woman in your life so that she knows she's not alone. So if she has felt anything like Stephanie and I discussed today, that she knows that there are more of us out there. Yes, we are here. We're understanding. We we know what it's like. And if we have more transparent conversations about it, then more of us can move through this sooner, quicker, faster. Come on over to the Redefining Wealth Facebook group. Let's talk about it. What are your big takeaways? What really resonated with you? I would love, love, love to have you share a bit more. The free Redefining Wealth Facebook community. Make sure that you uh, look Stephanie up online. All of her contact info is in the show notes. And until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.